Welcome back. This is Sam. And this is Corrine, and we are two OncDocs. Today's episode, we're going to be focusing on what you need to know regarding metastatic colon cancer. And remember, everyone, this is an update from our last year's uh, episode on this topic because things continue to change. And we actually have three new updates to talk about in metastatic colon cancer. We're going to go over all of those need-to-know facts about the molecular studies, the treatment, and then possible surgery for ogliometastatic disease. And one big thing to think about is what influences how we treat metastatic colon cancer. And there's many variables that go into this conversation with our patients. It can include patient comorbidities, their age, their performance status, their goals of care, and then also tumor characteristics. For most patients, the goal is to extend life and maintain quality of life, but their goals may actually change through the treatment of the advanced disease. So it's always important to touch base with your patients because they are the captain of the ship. And thankfully, the survival of patients with metastatic colon cancer has greatly improved in the past decade and continues to improve. Absolutely. We recorded the original of this episode in May 2022, so it's so exciting that we already have three updates uh, for patients with metastatic colon cancer to hopefully improve outcomes. And so, Sam, can you remind us what chemotherapy backbones do we use in metastatic colon cancer? I will go through all of them, but one concept to remember is that when you're treating advanced or stage four colon cancer, patients benefit from having access to all active agents. I was taught to think about this as like a chess game. Remember that you use all of your pieces one at a time. It's a marathon, not a sprint, and you're trying to maximize each line of therapy before you move on to the next line of therapy. So our backbones are full FOX, which you heard about in our last episode. So that is 5-FU plus leucovorin plus oxaliplatin. There's fulfiri, which is 5-FU, leucovorin, and arinotecan. We thought, was there one better than the other? So there was a trial back in 2004 that looked at sequencing full FOX, then fulfiri, or full theory, then full fox. And what the bottom line is, is that both regimens showed prolonged survival in 20 to 21 months and had similar efficacy. So there isn't a right or wrong answer of which you use first. I think it's a little bit of a style preference. Here in the U.S., we tend to use full fox first. In Europe, I think there's more of a tendency to use full theory first. But again, both are efficacious. You can use one and then the other, and there's not a right or wrong answer. The second thing that we talk about is infusional 5-FU. So we have a pill counterpart called capecitabine, and they're equivocal to each other. So infusional 5-FU is the same as oral capecitabine when we're talking about treating metastatic colon cancer, and both are better than single bolus 5-FU, which we don't use by itself anymore. And so what are the notable toxicities with full fox and full fury? So let's go through each of the drugs themselves. 5-FU, this is, it inhibits thiamidylate synthase. And so one thing to remember is we sometimes pair it with leucovorin. And this is different than when we pair leucovorin with something like high-dose methotrexate, where we're helping prevent toxicity. The leucovorin actually enhances the effects of 5-FU by stabilizing and binding to thiamidylate synthase, thus preventing the bolus 5-FU from being immediately broken down by our bodies. 
Toxicities that we need to be aware of is vasospasm of the cardiac vessels during the infusion. This can feel like a heart attack. So if you're on call and a patient who's hooked up to their 5-FU pumps as they're having crushing chest pain, you got to send them to the ER. It may be the vasospasm, which stops when you stop the infusion, or it could be a heart attack. You can't tell the difference over the phone, so they got to get checked out and get an EKG. There's another thing that we need to be aware of, and that is DPD deficiency. This is autosomal recessive, and you can see severe neutropenias, mucositis, diarrhea, and cardiac toxicities with 5-FU. The way that you treat someone if they have DPD deficiency and they got 5-FU is you do uridine triacetate, which is a competitive inhibitor of 5-FU. That is very testable, and you could see that on your boards. The second drug is capecitabine, and so that's a prodrug of 5-FU. Toxicities can include hand-foot syndrome, mucositis, skin nail changes, and GI symptoms because it's absorbed through the GI tract. And one pearl you need to know is that you cannot give capecitabine if you have a creatinine clearance less than 30. So if that's the case, you got to go to old school 5-FU. The other two drugs we talked about in our backbones is oxaloplatin. This blocks DNA replication with crosslinks. Oxaloplatin is also renally cleared, and so you need to reduce the dose if the creatinine clearance is less than 30. Toxicities can include cold sensitivity and neuropathy. This usually happens about 24 to 48 hours after the infusion, and it usually goes away. The second type of neuropathy we think about with oxaloplatin is one that could be potentially permanent, and that's peripheral neuropathy. So we ask our patients every single time, are they having residual peripheral neuropathy not triggered by cold? There's ototoxicity as with any platinum drugs, and you can also get infusion reactions, and this is IgE-mediated, and so it's after repeated exposures. So not the first or the second dose of oxaloplatin, but this is sixth, seventh, eighth dose of oxaloplatin. You got to be aware of that possible infusion reaction. The last drug is arinotecan, or what I lovingly call I run to the can. This is a topoisomerase 1 inhibitor, and there's two types of diarrhea that come with arinotecan. The first is while patients are actually sitting in the infusion uh, chair, getting the infusion of arinotecan. And this is due to cholinergic effects. And so the way we stop that, we stop it by giving atropine while they're getting the infusion. That actually usually constipates people for a few days. And the second type of diarrhea with arinotecan is late onset. That we treat with emodium. So you need to tell patients when they're at home, the week later, if they get diarrhea, you got to treat it with emodium really quick so they don't get dehydrated or have any electrolyte abnormalities. The caveat to know about arinotecan is the UGT1A1 gene. And so this reduces the excretion of the drug. It's autosomal recessive. And so being homozygous for UGT1A1-28 gene increases the risk of neutropenias with arinotecan. This part of our episode is so high yield, and I would definitely re-listen to that before test day, um, particularly the DBT deficiency with 5-FU, as well as the UGT1A1. When you have that, it increases toxicity from arinotecan. And so definitely make sure that you know all of these and also the creatinine clearance is important. We were tested on that. And so can you tell us what biomarkers guide targeted therapy and metastatic colon cancer? 
So routine testing should be done and we should be looking for RAS. This is KRAS, HRAS, and NRAS. Be looking for BRAF mutations, HER2 amplification, PDL1 status, MSI status, and NTRAC fusions. We identify tumor and we want to know what patients will respond to, but also what they won't respond to. One other thing outside of biomarkers is the sightedness. So is this something interesting for colon cancer? And so right-sided colon cancer are different than left-sided colon cancers. And so right-sided is defined to the splenic flexure, and there's more serrated tumors. These tend to be more aggressive, but they also are more likely to be MSI high, BRAF or RAS mutated. And so we've seen time and time again, they have worse outcomes, but they do benefit from bevacizumab. So you can use VEGF inhibition, which we'll talk about next, but no EGFR since we saw that they really don't respond as well to those. As opposed to left-sided colon cancers, which maybe behave a little bit better. We do see more HER2 positivity on the left side. And generally, when we've looked at them in historical studies, they do better and they benefit from EGFR inhibition as well as VEGF inhibition. So opening up a few more channels for targeted therapy. Absolutely. Good to know that there are more options for those left-sided and they do test on this. And so what targeted therapies do we add to chemotherapy in stage four colon cancer? So I just hinted at them, but VEGF inhibitors is something that we add to chemotherapy, and the drugs are bevacizumab, avaflivercept, and ramucirumab. They're cytostatic over cytotoxic, and so this is a good maintenance strategy. So you can do Fulfox or Kpox plus bevacizumab or any of the other VEGF inhibitors, and what we've seen is it increases median progression-free survival and median overall survival. Another important thing to realize is that you can use VEGF inhibition past progression. So if someone progresses on full Fox plus Bev, you can switch them to full Fury plus Bev. You can switch them to the next line plus Bev. So you keep that EGFR or VEGF inhibition going past the chemotherapy progression. The TRIBE-2 trial looked at fulfurinox plus Bev, which is also an option if you have a lot of bulky disease in a young individual and you need to gain control quickly. Risks associated with VEGF inhibitors is hypertension, perforation, fistulas, bleeding, and you also need to be aware of the long half-life of these drugs. So it's many weeks. You can't give someone um, bevacizumab and have them go right to surgery or something like that because it's still lingering long past the dose. Second thing we talk about is EGFR inhibitors. So this is cetuximab and panitumumab. The efficacy is RAS status dependent. So you only see benefit with EGFR inhibition if they are RAS wild type tumors. Many trials have shown this. And so it's not just KRAS, which is what we initially think of, but also NRAS and HRAS. You also need to be BRAF V600E and HER2 wild type or negative. RAS-mutated tumors lack the benefit because RAS is downstream to EGFR, so if mutated, the EGFR inhibition won't actually stop the cancer cells from the dividing. The CRYSTAL study, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2009, looked at chemo plus cetuximab versus chemo alone in RAS wild-type tumors, and the combination improved progression-free survival by a few months. Side effects with EGFR inhibition is rash, long eyelashes, diarrhea, allergic reactions. You can also use these occasionally as monotherapy. Yes, absolutely remember that the RAS mutated do not get benefit from those EGFR drugs and those that are wild type do. And so do BRAF mutations happen in colon cancer? 
Yes, they do. So BRAF V600E is found in 5 to 15% of cases, and it's mutually exclusive with KRAS mutations, so you don't get both. If you have a BRAF-mutated colon cancer, it has a worse prognosis. These tend to be more aggressive and more chemo-resistant biology. And so we we like to think about how can we treat them. There is lack of benefit with EGFR inhibitors alone, as we just mentioned before. And how we treat these is the BEACON trial, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2019. What we combined in this trial was encarafenib, which is a RAF inhibitor, binimetinib, which is a MEK inhibitor, plus cetuximab. We compared it to encarafenib plus cetuximab, so the doublet as opposed to the triplet. And then the control arm was chemotherapy dealer's choice plus cetuximab. The overall response rates for the triplet, it was 27%, 20% for the doublet, and 2% for the control arm. The median overall survival was 9.3 months for the triplet, 9.3 months for the doublet, and 5.9 for the control arm. This led to the approval of encarafenib plus cetuximab in previously treated BRAF-mutated colorectal cancers. And so it's important to realize that this trial actually led to the approval of the doublet because it was equivocal to the triplet. Absolutely. This trial came out when we were in fellowship. And so this changed how BRAF mutated colon cancers are treated. And so what other targets do we utilize in colon cancer? We think about HER2 status. And so 4% of metastatic colorectal cancers have HER2 amplification. Again, this is mutually exclusive with RAS and BRAF. And so we have combinations to consider. They're trastuzumab plus pertuzumab, borrowing from our breast cancer colleagues, trastuzumab plus lapatinib, and the newest combination, which is tucantinib plus trastuzumab. And this was based on the Mountaineer trial, which was published in the Lancet in 2023, so just this year. We also think about N-track fusions and all solid tumors. They're rare. They're 1% of cases, but if you don't look for it, you'll never find it. And it is targetable with larotrectinib or entrectinib. Absolutely. And so beyond what you've discussed, what are later lines of treatment? So this is where we get into some exciting new approvals in the past year. And so one drug that we think of is called Lonserp, and this is trifluoridine tipracil. And so we need to think about the toxicities with this medication. It's an oral pill. It can cause cytopenias, GI toxicities, and fatigue. And now we're adding bevacizumab to Lonserp, and this is based on the Sunlight Trial. This was just published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2023. What it showed is that the median overall survival of 10.8 months when you combine Lonserf plus Bevacizumab compared to 7.5 months of Lonserf alone. The median progression-free survival was also doubled when you add the Bevacizumab to the Lonserf. So continue that VEGF inhibition even down to the later lines of needing to use Lonserf. Another later line pill that we have is called regorafenib. This is a tyrosine kinase inhibitor. This uh, toxicities include hand foot syndrome, hypertension, diarrhea, and fatigue. We also need to think about hypermutated colorectal cancer. So these are MSI high or mismatch repair deficient Lynch syndrome type of tumors. There we utilize immunotherapy such as pembrolizumab in the first or later lines, as well as nivolumab with or without ipilimumab in later lines as well. 
Another drug that's coming down the pipeline and should be approved soon is fruquintinib, and this is an oral VEGF inhibitor. It is highly selective, and this is going to be approved based on the Fresco 2 trial, which was published in the Lancet 2023, for metastatic colorectal adenocarcinoma who have received all current standards of cytotoxic and targeted therapies and have progressed or are intolerant to lonsorfarigrafenib or both. What they saw is that this oral VEGF inhibitor, after all of these other lines of therapy, still had benefit in median overall survival of 7.4 months compared to 4.8 months in the placebo group. It is pending FDA approval as of today, but it should be expedited, so hopefully soon it'll be approved. And lastly, clinical trials. The reason that we have so many updates and exciting updates to these episodes and in oncology as a field is ongoing clinical trials, looking at novel combinations and new medications for all of these diseases. And so how do we treat someone with oligometastatic disease to the liver? So sometimes we can actually cure patients with limited metastatic disease with five-year survivals of 40 to 70%. These patients need to have a limited number of metastatic lesions, able to obtain negative margins of these lesions with adequate surgery, and then also we need to consider having enough liver left behind to live. You can utilize neoadjuvant chemotherapy, and this helps prognosticate and facilitate surgery, as well as adjuvant chemotherapy, similar to thinking about adjuvant chemo for earlier stages of colon cancer. The optimal timing of chemo has not really been established. This I don't think it's testable for boards. It could be before or after surgery or both. Biologics in this setting is also unclear. Um, You can use cetuximab, panitumumab, um, but again, bevacizumab has to be stopped six weeks prior to any surgery because of that long half-life. So you just need to be cognizant of that. Yes, very important to remember anyone that gets bevacizumab should have a window before they have surgery. And that was such a great overview of our updates on metastatic colon cancer. Sam, what are our key takeaways? So our key takeaways from metastatic colon cancer, Fulfox and full theory are equivocal in efficacy and safety. So dealer's choice where you start. KPOX and Cape Erie, not exactly the same safety because you can have more diarrhea with Cape Erie. And so KPOX you can use instead of Fulfox, but Cape Erie, yeah, we shy away from a little bit. Targeted therapies can be added to chemo backbones, depending on the mutation profile, as well as the sidedness of the colon cancer. So think left-sided, RAS wild type, BRAF wild type, HER2 negative. You can add EGFR inhibitors in the first-line setting. You can also consider bevacizumab in select patients. Right-sided tumors, we don't see as much benefit from EGFR inhibitors, but we do utilize VEGF inhibition, such as bevacizumab in the first-line setting. Knowing the HER2 status is important because we have three three approved combinations, trastuzumab plus pertuzumab, trastuzumab plus lapatinib, and trastuzumab plus tecanib. Also knowing BRAF status, because based on the Beacon trial, we have the doublet RAF and EGFR inhibition with encarafenib plus cetuximab. Knowing that MSI and MMR status, so you can utilize immunotherapy. Later line medications include regorafenib and Lonserf, now with bevacizumab, as well as the pending FDA approval of fruquitinib. Also remember that some liver metastatic cases can be cured potentially with resection as well as neoadjuvant or adjuvant chemotherapy, but that's a case-by-case discussion at our tumor boards. So thank you, Sam, for covering this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Good luck with studying. We will not be releasing any episode next Monday, which is Labor Day. However, 
We will be back the following Monday with updates on localized prostate cancer, which I'm very excited to share. We have quite a few updates in 2023. And we will see you in two weeks.